I wanted to start today by uh, telling you a story from my past. Um, it was way back when I was in ninth grade. By the way, in the ninth grade, I did have hair, and it was long and, uh, and wavy, but I remember one, particularly uh, one morning uh, in the ninth grade when I was in Miss Binion's class. We used to call her Miss Bunyan, but she didn't know it. But um, I said something I, before I thought about it. I don't know if you've ever done that, but Miss Binion was always famous for telling us because, you know, ninth graders lose stuff, and we'd say, have you seen my book or whatever, or I lost my, and she would always say, I'm not responsible for your books. You got to keep up with your own stuff. And uh, so there was one particular uh, morning, I think it was a, a Monday morning, we were all in class, it hadn't started yet, and she comes to the front of the class and says, has anybody seen my book? I've misplaced it. And before I knew it, out of my mouth came, we're not responsible for your books, you gotta keep up with your own stuff. <laughs> to which, she all of a sudden puffed up like a puffer fish, and went, <gasps> like that. And there was hush, everybody went, whoa. And she just went, like, out the door, go. <laughs> And she followed me out the door, and it, was, it wouldn't have been so bad, except everybody was really quiet, and then all of a sudden, they all started laughing, which made it worse for her. And all of a sudden, I went, oh, how did that get out of my mouth so fast? And uh, when I got outside the door, uh, she said, go to the office and tell them what you did. So I went down to the office, and uh, the vice principal was there, who was also the football coach. He knew me very well. And I uh, said, Ken, what are you doing in here? I said, and so I told him what happened. He laughed, and then he said, uh, just sit down for the rest of the class. She doesn't want to see you. Um, but the after class, go back and apologize, and don't worry about it. Just go on for it. Well, today, that kind of leads us to our passage in James chapter 3. Um, it's uh, in your bulletin printed there, um, if you'd follow along as I read it. Not many of you should be, this is James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter, greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are, get, they are guided by very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. 
This passage contains the um, most sustained discussion in the New Testament on the use of the tongue. Um, it's kind of all here. James, you remember, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, and his goal when he's talking to the readers of this, they were the people that have been scattered out of Jerusalem where he was the pastor. And these are people he knew. And their goal was to go wherever they landed, they were to go and to start churches. You know, it's sort of like if we said, okay, and let's say there weren't gazillion churches in Charlotte region, and there's this church who was here, this is the only one who was here, and say, hey, as you move, wherever you move, and you're too far to come here, you're to start a church there. And he's basically, this portion, this whole book was written, I, this is how you know not to mess it up. And that's why it starts in the very first chapter. You need to ask for wisdom. So this passage is honest, it's convicting, and it's written by someone who messed up. And he also was someone who, whose tongue was giving blessing. Um, James might have been, he was with his siblings when one of his siblings says, Jesus is out of his mind. So there were times where he used his tongue in an inappropriate way. And, but he also... This James is the one after the resurrection of Christ that Jesus had a one-on-one -on -one with him, which changed his life when the resurrected Jesus talked to him. So he takes seriously this warning about teaching. But guess what? He still teaches. I've met a lot of people that quote this first verse and said, because of this verse, I'm never going to teach. Well, if God has gifted you to teach and he wants you to teach, it's sin if you don't teach. This is not saying, no, there should be no teachers, because obviously that, that would be wrong. Oh, by the way, how many of you are parents? Raise your hand. Guess what? You're teachers, right? You are teachers. You're teaching your kids all the time. So this obviously applies for us. Look at verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. Notice he didn't say you. It wasn't just you. It was we. He recognized that he stumbles in all ways. Um, there's a problem we all face is that we talk a lot. I'm not going to do the man-female thing. I'll get in trouble there. Uh, but the, the reality is we never shut up. Um, I used to remember when my children were toddling around and crawling around. I'd always wonder, well, I wonder what they're thinking. Do you ever do that? And then all of a sudden they start talking and you wish you didn't know what they were thinking. Um, some research reports say that on average, the Americans speak 700 times a day. Um, what else do you do 700 times a day? Um, other research says that one-fifth of our life is involved in talking. If we wrote down all the words we say in one day, it would equal a book this size, about 50 pages, every day, if it was all written down. Um, this is one by C.S. Lewis. Um, I did a little math, and I'm older than some of you. Um, I've talked 343,630 little books like this in my lifetime, probably more since I'm a preacher. According to a study done this year that Americans check their phones 144 times a day, but we talk much more than we even check our phones. So using our tongue wisely is a sign of spiritual maturity. Um, 
Now, I had memories of the ninth grade. Go back a little further. When you were a little kid and you went to the doctor, what's one of the things the doctor tells you to do when they start looking at you? Yep, that's right. You know, it's one of the legal times to stick out your tongue, right? Uh, they have you stick out your tongue, and you might wonder why. Well, guess what? Doctors know what a healthy tongue looks like, and they want to see a healthy tongue in your mouth. And when they see one that's too moist or too dry or discolored or um, my mom used to teach bank tellers, and she never had to teach them what, what counterfeit money looked like because they spent all day counting money, real money. And as soon as they came across one that wasn't real, they knew it but just by the touch. And just like a doctor, when they look at your tongue, they can tell, they say it's the easiest way to indicate, it's a quick way to indicate if there's something else going on in your body. And if they see something abnormal, then they will do the expensive test. But otherwise, they're looking for a normal tongue. Well, like the tongue can reveal sickness in our body, our speech can reveal what's going on in our mind and our soul. And it can re reveal pain, sorrow, depression, joy, bitterness, anger, jealousy, jealousy, uh, foolishness, genius, and stupidity. Sometimes all in the same conversation. Can you tell by someone's tone of voice kind of how they're doing? You probably can with your spouse. I never forget when our kids were young and we were doing the family devotion, and I came up with this idea. We had kind of like a living room and then a, a powder room off of it, just like a little bathroom. And um, so I came up with this idea where the, ver where the verse says uh, in Scripture that uh, the shepherd knows the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so we would um, put one kid in the bathroom, shut the door. And then we would all talk, and we tried to disguise our voice. And invariably, every kid could determine when they heard my voice, but the other kid's voice, they, they never missed one time. They knew the voice, even when they tried to sound like Donald Duck or, you know, whatever. Um, one of the greatest tragedies is how we abuse our tongue and the way we do speak. Scripture says a lot about it. In the fall, Adam used his tongue to blame Eve. In the Psalms, it says our, uh, it refers to our throats as open graves, whose tongues deceive and whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Isaiah, as we read in our responsive reading, was he saw the throne of God and he immediately recognized he, was a, he had unclean lips and he lived with a people of, of unclean lips. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I've never seen this verse or recognized it this way, but in Proverbs 12, 18, it says, our words are like sword thrusts. James, Pastor James here's diagnosis is sobering. Nobody, Jesus accepted, can control the tongue. But we can grow in our control of the tongue. Verses 3 through 5 give us some very vivid illustrations of the power of the tongue. Um, small bit, I've never really been a, a ride horses just a few times, but I do know that when it's in the mouth, you can guide it where you want. I don't know the, the really good people with trained horses can do it with their knees, but they still, I've noticed they still have those things. Um, a small rudder for a big boat. 
So the, the principle is a small thing, the tongue, is disproportionately powerful to move big things. It's also like a spar, spark that can cause a devastating fire. You know, only you can prevent forest fires. So that applies to our tongue as well. Um, Thanksgiving is coming up. This is a, an appropriate lesson for today. It's really easy for one word or one tonal expression or one comment to cause all sorts of, of it can consume and destroy the life of a family. Um, the tone of what you say can be poisoned and spread further than you could ever imagine. Former professor of mine had this quote that I've, I've held on to. He said, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. Have you ever said something you wanted to, oh, I'm sorry I said that. You know, immediately you knew you were, you were wrong. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, and you finished this phrase for me, sticks and stones may break my bones. How untrue that is. I've broken a lot of bones. My mom used to go past the GP, and we'd just go back, go to the orthopedic surgeon because we were breaking bones all the time. And they healed. But there are people denting the couches of counselors over and over again trying to deal with the words that hurt them a long time ago. Words can truly hurt. On September 5th, 1983, the Washington Redskins were playing the Dallas Cowboys. Coach Gibbs had just led the Redskins the year before to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. But on this Monday night football episode, um, they were playing, and it was a really close game. There was um, Joe Theismann on the Redskins and, and Danny White and Tony Dorsett on the, the Cowboys. Um, and on that night, there was um, Dandy Don Meredith. Are you all old enough to remember Monday Night Football with Dandy Don Meredith? Where he would say, you know, at the end of the game, turn out the lights, the, the, the party's over, when it got to where he knew who was going to win. But there was a, another commentator. Who was it? Howard Cosell. On this particular night, um, Alvin Garrett, which was a receiver for the Redskins, was very quick. And he would, he would catch the ball, and it was hard to, get, to bring him down. And before you knew it, Howard Cosell called him a little monkey. He mentioned it to, you know, on air. I was actually watching the game and heard it, and I went, uh-oh, that's not good. That was the last year Howard Cosell uh, was ever on TV. That one statement, a um, little more current, I'm glad you remembered that. Paula Dean, who always used the appropriate amount of butter, <laughs> lost deals and contracts with the Food Network, Smithfield Foods, Walmart, Target, QVC, Caesars Entertainment, JCPenney, Sears, Kmart, and her publisher, Ballantine Books, because she, made, she had a racial slur and admitted to it. NASCAR driver Kyle Larson, during the pandemic, they were doing virtual races and uh, used the N-word on live streaming. His, uh, all of his sponsors, that as soon as they heard about it, dropped him. And the team, Ganassi, fired him, and he was gone for at least a year. And he wrote an essay on his website afterwards. He said, 
I jeopardized the livelihoods of the crew members who had poured their careers into building me fast race cars. My fans were upset. In an instant, I turned a lot of lives upside down and destroyed my own reputation. That was during the pandemic. This last season, Noah Grayson, a race driver um, with Legacy Motorsports, uh, on his social media liked a meme that had a derogatory something about George Floyd's face. And he was immediately suspended from all of NASCAR and let go from his team. Um, do you think people check social media when they hire folks? Absolutely they do. Um, James is not finished yet with this book and he's basically saying stick out your tongue and when you look at it you'll recognize there are problems. Um, we can encourage others and we can praise God. We can cuss somebody and we can sing to him. Um, James is a old pastor and I can identify with him. He loves his people but at the same time, he's very serious, and he wants to tell them the truth. They have responsibilities that they need to follow God, and they need to take their tongues with them. They need to be able to use that, and James loves them, and God wanted them to hear this story and hear this teaching. But here's the problem I have with this passage that's printed in front of you. A lot of time, um, when we have a passage like this, and it just tends to rip us up, and we're going more oh me than we are going amen, right? When we go, yep, done that, done that, done that, yep, that's happened, that's true. Who knows, you might be sitting here beside your spouse and you had a fight last night because of something somebody said or didn't say or the tone or whatever. We understand. Here's my problem with the passage. And as I studied it, actually Hudson told me to teach this. At, at one point, at Joe Gibbs. And so I studied and studied, so I, I'm using it again today. But here's my problem with the passage. There's not a verse at the end that says, okay, do this and everything will be all right. Or here's the command to follow. Or here's a, here's a neat principle that you're supposed to be involved in, and then, then you know you can move forward. So there's no uh, command here. But James has not left us without instruction because we tend to look at one passage of Scripture in a sermon and we don't look at the whole book. And so the, the interesting thing about this is sort of like uh, if you think there's five chapters in the book of James, this is the third one. And so at this point we go, what has he told us about the tongue? We've got this particular teaching. But Sinclair Ferguson, who was also one of my professors, helped me with, with a list that I want to have dispensed right now. So can guys hand those out? Somebody's got them. All right. Do them really fast, and Jan is going to help me uh, with my sermon. And most of you say, yeah, he does need help, and Jan's going to help me. Even though this chapter, chapter 3, is uh, right in the middle of the uh, book, there are so many more comments in the rest of the book that give us practical illustrations of how to use our tongue. So we're going to just work our way through this. And I want you to, as we're going through this, instead of saying, oh, that's interesting, I want you 
to say, how does this apply to me, just me, not to my husband, not to my wife, but to me, how does this apply to me, and how can I put it into my life? So the first one is, ask God for wisdom to speak, and do so with a confident mind. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So obviously we all need wisdom. Ask God, but you better not doubt that he's going to give you the answer. If you do, you might as well not ask. Number two, boast only in my exaltation in Christ or in my humiliation in the word, world. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And you can imagine the opposite of this when we boast in what we've got or we moan in what we don't. Set a watch over my mouth. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So never blame God for the situation you're in as if he didn't know what's going on. Number four, be constantly quick to hear, slow to speak. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Learn the gospel way of speaking to the poor and the rich. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you have favor, if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Speak knowing there will be a final judgment. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And a lot of showing mercy is talking to people and actively caring for them. Never use words that demean, despise, or cause despair instead of actually helping someone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And you notice all these verses are from the little book of James. Never claim a reality you do not experience. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Resist words that start arguments and reveal marks of your foolish heart. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Never speak evil of another. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, 
not to judge whether it applies to you. Okay, I want to pause right here. We've gone through 10 of 20. I want you to go back and pick at least one or two that stuck out to you, that kind of jumped off the page and said, this is for me. Okay, let's move forward. Number 11, never boast in an unpredictable future. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Always speak as one who lives under the providences of God. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Never grumble, knowing that the judge is at the door. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Would that ever happen in a church? Could it happen over a building project? I'll tell you a quick story. We had a big building project. We built a, a large church over in Southern Pines, and we started with a, a building committee. It was a disaster. They could not get it together. And after a while, we just canceled the building committee. And the elders prayed and thought about it, and then we came and we basically approved one deacon to make all the decisions about the building project program and it worked so much better because it was people had so many different visions and we gave the vision from the session to the to this deacon and, and he went forward with it and um, anyhow never grumble knowing that the judge is at the door do you think a pastor an old pastor would know how important that is number four do not be wishy-washy but most of all my brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Talk to God in prayer whenever you suffer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Sing praises to God whenever you are happy. Recognize God is involved. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Ask for the prayers of others when you're sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I have so many um, stories I could tell. Let me just tell you one about an elder in, in a previous church. He was a really, he was a godly man. He loved praying for other people. When someone had a need, he wanted to be there and pray with him. I went to visit his wife who was sick and I found out that he had been sick. And I said, how come you didn't let me know? He said, oh, I didn't want you to bother about it. And I said, you know what that's called? He goes, what? P-R-I-D-E. said, you're willing to go pray with other people, but you don't want other people to pray for you. And he goes, you're right. You're right. Confess it when you have failed. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for others when they are in need. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And notice how we use our tongue in verse 20. Care enough to talk to others when they are going down the wrong path. Restore them. 
My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Look again at verse 8. James says, no human being can tame the tongue. But he does, doesn't say no one can because God can help tame our tongue. And as we grow in him, he can help it. Imagine that it's not ultimately untamable. It's just not tameable completely by us. Um, Jesus can. We need to understand that this teaching and these 20 practical things from Pastor James puts us on the right road. When we fail, I want to encourage you to save the bulletin. That was a great confession of sin this morning about the tongue. Now, you think I'm through, but I'm not, because I want you to look back at that sheet of paper and look at verses 11, I mean, numbers 11 through 20. I want you to pick one or two out of that one, that section, that applies particularly to you. Put a little check mark on there. What is it that God is saying to you this morning? Let's pray together. Father, the words of our mouth, the intentions of our heart, they can be pushed by so many different things in so many different ways. Father, we pray for grace. We pray for mercy. And Father, we pray that we would particularly be quick to repent when we do blow it. And Father, help us to understand the value of a good word that can lift people up. And Father, would we be more involved in giving those than tearing people down? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.